Welcome to Episode 7, Moon Landing. On this episode, we discuss movies related to the Apollo 11 moon landing. With the help of President Kennedy, Johnny gives us background on the 1960s space race. We break down the 2019 Apollo 11 documentary directed by Todd Douglas Miller. Eddie tells us why we should be thankful for NASA. We invite you to grab some popcorn and your favorite beverage, take a seat, and put up your feet, because we're talking movies. Welcome back. I'm Johnny Popcorn. And I'm Eddie Klieg. And we're talking movies. Well, Eddie, I don't have anything to apologize for, and I don't have any corrections to comment on. I'm going to go right to the, the crux of the issue and ask you, where are we going this week? Well, Johnny, we're going to the moon. The moon. Let's go to the moon. All right. And since back when there were dirt roads and uh, what was the other thing I said? Conestoga wagons or whatever. Uh, yeah. No TV, no radio. That's all right. My students thought I, I voted for my first election. I voted for Abraham Lincoln. So, you know. <laughs> wow. There you go. <laughs> I figured since you're the history teacher, American history teacher specifically, maybe you can give us some background on, on it. Plus, you also lived through it. So. All right, yeah, and we are recording this episode prior to the week that will celebrate the 50th anniversary of Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin's landing on the moon. The date was July 20, 1969. This way, it'll give you time, if you'd like, to view or review the films we discussed today as we approach that date. I'm going to give you a little background. For those of you who know this, it'll just be a refresher, and for those of you who are unfamiliar, it gives you some context to as we approach these films. The decision for the U.S. to target the moon was a natural extension of competition with the Soviet Union that began in the shadow of the victory over Germany in World War II. The initial conflict was a division of Germany in two sectors, when then it elevated with the two countries possessing nuclear bombs. This scientific and militaristic competition led to the Soviets placing the first orbiting satellite, called Sputnik, in space in 1957. This sought off an alarm that forced President Eisenhower to initiate scientific emphasis in U.S. education. Now, the ongoing distrust led to RU-2 high-level spy flights over Russia. Our clandestine efforts were exposed when the pilot, Francis Gary Powers, was shot down. And his trial by the Soviets heightened the tensions that existed. And this later led to the confrontation with Russia having missiles in Cuba that threatened the U.S. in 1962. Now, this confrontation was something those of us living at the time feared could be nuclear annihilation. Except for the cool diplomacy of the Kennedy administration, which resolved the issue. Now, this two-week-long standoff was the subject of the film 13 Days, which came out in the year 2000. And it starred Kevin Costner and Bruce Greenwood. So if you want to take a look at that one, I'll give you a really good look at that period of time. Now, the U-2 incident led to a diplomatic trade of powers in exchange for a Soviet spy, Rudolf Abel, who was being held in the U.S. And this exchange was dramatized in the film Bridge of Spies, which came out in 2015, with Tom Hanks and Mark Rylance in the starring roles. Pretty good film. Now, the competition really escalated when the Russians were first in putting a dog in space, then a man, then a woman, then the first man to walk in space. We initiated the Mercury astronaut program to play catch-up. And 
Kennedy seized upon the challenge of being first to get to the moon within a decade as a means for us to demonstrate to the world our commitment and capabilities in meeting such a challenge. As he said in a speech he delivered at Rice University in September 1962, we do it not because it is easy, but because it is hard. But why some say the moon? Why choose this as our goal? And they may well ask, why climb the highest mountain? Why 35 years ago fly the Atlantic? Why does Rice play Texas? We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we're willing to accept one we are unwilling to postpone, and one we intend to win. But if I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 feet tall, the length of this football field, made of new metal alloys, some of which have not yet been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch, carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body, and then return it safely to Earth re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that on the temperature of the sun, almost as hot as it is here today, and do all this, and do all this, and do it right, and do it first before this decade is out, then we must be bold. So let's talk, uh, where are we going to go? Let's, let's talk about the documentary. The first film we talk about today is a documentary, which we have both seen, if you haven't, and some of you may have. you got to see it. Johnny's been telling me about it for a couple weeks, and I finally sat down and watched it. I, I couldn't stop watching. It is absolutely awesome. And if you go to our show notes, there'll be a link to Apple iTunes where you can either rent it or purchase it. I tried getting it on the CNN app because it's part of CNN films, but it wouldn't work. Um, the film... Did we mention the title? I forgot if oh, we mentioned yeah. the title. Apollo 11. That's, the, that's it, right? Yep, that's it. <laughs> it's directed by Todd Douglas Miller. It has no narration. It's completely footage, and a lot of it footage that recently has been found. Also, audio that recently has been found. They remastered the video. It is, it's gorgeous when you watch it. The, the sea of people that came to see it, I mean, sea of people. I mean, you had people, the campers, in their cars, on the ground, on the beach. I mean, they were everywhere. And the color was just so, I'm not understanding why back in 1969, how they had this high definition uh, cameras. Okay. And I don't know if it, I know you, they digitally can master things and fix things, but it was, 
It was incredible. There was, and I don't, there was, they had created, because the camera that they even used on the pictures they took on the moon that the astronauts had, they mentioned what the capabilities were, what, it was top flight uh, advanced photography at the time. We didn't have it. You know, we were still playing with Polaroids or the little, little snapshot Kodak things, but they had the money to spend on something like that. And it is magnificent. It was originally produced to be seen in IMAX, this film. Uh, yeah, yeah, which would be cool because it would be... Oh, just amazing. <laughs> I mean, just watching the... I mean, it, it basically everything is kind of in order. And what you hear a lot is the, the announcer that, you know, says what's going on. Like during launch day, how there's always a recording of someone that informs the public. And then you hear it on the loudspeaker where all the people were... Um, and just seeing the, the inside, behind-the-scenes type thing. You had the full high-definition color. You also would go back and forth to closed-circuit black-and-white video. It was it was crazy. And and during the film, they show the inside. It is amazing how many instrument panels, switches, dials, lights, <laughs> huge rooms, wall-to-wall with these computers. And that was just Cape Canaveral. And then when they handed off to... Uh, Houston, there's another thing full of these computers. <laughs> yeah, because Houston, everybody thinks about Cape Canaveral, and then it became Cape Kennedy and then after Kennedy's death, and then it came back to Cape Canaveral. But everybody forgets that Houston is really where the center of everything was as far as the flight control and so on. There are people all over the place. I saw somewhere, I think, that the entire project to put the man on the moon was something like $50 billion, which was... Wow. A lot of money. Yeah. I don't know if that's an extrapolated number in today's terms or whatever. And there were over 400,000 people that played a role in getting them up and getting them back. Pretty big deal. I mean, it, it is amazing. Just, just to, I looked this up, so I wanted to give this to you to think, see what you, you thought. People, I was amazed when I saw it. What we're going we're gonna to compare the 1969 Apollo computer from the, the spacecraft, the ship goes down and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so if you take a... Texas Instrument calculator for th- from 2004, right? 32 times more RAM, 14,000 times more ROM, and it's 350 times faster than the, the one they use. The calculator is faster than the Apollo <laughs> computers. Now, my iPhone that I have sitting here on the table, more than a million times more RAM, 7 million times more ROM, and the processor speed was well over 100,000 times faster. So my little computer, my watch even, my Apple Watch, is faster than that thing that took them all the way up there and swinging around the so earth. So you, you could launch from here. Yes, I can. <laughs> T minus 10, 9, 8. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic. I think one of the things you're talking about, the crowds, it will give people who weren't around at that time to realize what a big, exciting event. And I remember watching the landing live on TV. It was on a Sunday, and it was nighttime when we were watching when they, you know, when they were actually landing. And it was amazing. Then the entire world held its breath as to whether or not they're going to lift off, which was one of the things. That was a one-time deal. If it didn't work, they, they were going to have a problem. But it's a very dramatic telling and as as eddie has said no narration you'll hear a little bit from walter cronkite and some announcers that but they're all talking in the context of the event but you're hearing the 
ground to the spaceship and you're talking the, the talk between the individual astronauts, it's really pretty astounding. It, what amazes me, it is so dramatic the way that they cut it. Mm -hmm. And again, it's all just from the video and the sound that happened at that time. So it wasn't like some major star was voicing something or pretending to be somebody. Then, then when the actual blasting off, the announcer, or at the time, whoever, I don't even know. I think it was Eric Severide. He was a prominent CBS uh, uh, Who announcer. Basically, yeah, because if you watch Hidden Figures, that we're going to talk mm -hmm. about in a little bit, but most of the people are sitting around radios, and is that right? So, well, that was earlier on. That was earlier in this, but by the time of 1969, I think there were a lot more televisions. So when you go yeah. back in the 50s, and even in some of the early, today, the kids would be amazed. We grew up without color TV until uh, the 60s. And if you had a neighbor who had a color TV, you became very popular. <laughs> you were hanging out at your house. So that was a, a big deal. But but he was painting a picture. I, not, must, maybe it was the, the radio version. You know how we have ABC mm -hmm. and we have ABC mm -hmm. radio. It might have been something like that because just the way that he was explaining stuff. But you know, when, when, he, when they took him to the, um, to the launch pad, the guy is saying how they'll, now they'll go on an elevator and go to the 320th level and get into this thing. And, and you look at it, it's basically just a little thing at the top of this huge rocket. You know, one thing I, I, I thought of, and I think it, it went into my head because another movie we're going to talk about, The Right Stuff, and you showed me the trailer. The gal says something to this in the trailer about how NASA spends all this money and trains the guys about handling but it does nothing to prepare the families. That's right. Just thinking of the, the, the husbands, fathers, sons, or whatever, blasting off the tip of a rocket, and then they're going to be going into space, and they have to shoot over to the moon, and it's crazy. And then when they're shooting over the moon, I'm watching the little speed it was going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're talking over 23,000 miles per hour. Well, one of the things, too, is that the landing zone that they had set wasn't really as good as they thought, and Armstrong had to manually land the thing, and they only had so much fuel left to be able to control it, and they said he did a, a marvelous job. They, he was an excellent pilot to be able to take that thing and make it happen because that that's a one ad lib they had to do. They, everything else was pretty much you go here, go there, go there. It was all pre-programmed, but... Yeah, because of an alarm, I wrote it down here, it was a 12.05 alarm kept yep. popping up, and it was because the, the fuel was getting so low. Because they they have to calculate every single thing that goes into that spaceship, um, and fuel and weight is one of them. So you got X amount of fuel to go down, you got X amount of fuel to go up. After they moved, or after they finally land, in one of the communications back to Houston, we had to find another landing spot because we were about to uh, land in a crater the size of a football field. Right. You know, then you, you think they're they're rotating around the moon. It was pretty cool listening to them back and forth. Once it was on the dark side and the radio cut where Houston couldn't hear, and the guys are just, there's a part where the guys are just like, wow, look at that crater. Hey, look at the peaks over there. Look at I mean, it. It, it 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 is phenomenal. It, it's it's well worth watching. Again, Apollo Eleven. It's a documentary. And even though we talk about this, we're talking movies. Documentaries are, and we'll have to have a show on special documentaries at some time because documentaries are terrific. They become more important in, in the judging of a lot of these film festivals that have been created around the country now, beyond the the biggies that used to exist a few years ago. Uh, every community seems to have a film festival. And documentaries 
are a big anchor. And there's a lot of work, energy, and effort to go into telling great stories through documentaries. So we, by no means, when we talk about film and characters and directors, we're not dismissing documentaries. We just finally got around to where we could include one. And this is a great one to start with. If you're not a documentary person, watch this one because this is a great week to watch it. I just want to say one last thing. One last before thing. Before we go on. So you're strapped to a rocket. You're blast off into space. You rotate around the Earth for a couple of days. Then you swish over to the moon, go around the moon for a couple of days. You go down on the moon. You come back. Then you basically ride a, a tin can that's flaming like crazy down to land in the ocean. <laughs> to the ocean and you're home. You get out. You're in these wacky looking suits. And then you have to sit in an 18-day quarantine. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Yeah, and it, one of the things they show this, they're waving to people. They look like a, they were a, a little, cage, you know, their little, their little window, and they're all waving to people looking at them like monkeys or something. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. It was amazing because nobody knew what they were going to experience, but it's American ingenuity, American bravery, true grit, whatever, or the right stuff, as we would say. That brings us to uh, a movie that recreates the the right stuff. 1983, directed by Philip Kaufman, is based on the nonfiction book by Thomas Wolfe, which basically chronicles the first 15 years of the America's space program and the creation of the Mercury 7 astronaut. Most of these guys, of course, were fighter pilots, test pilots, and they're chosen for their skills, and they possessed necessary qualities, i.e. the right stuff. Now, this, this film is terrific. It's about it's a little over three hours, but it was an early showcase for actors. Here we go again, these guys that got their start in a pretty major film. And this, this film showcased, for example, Ed Harris, who played John Glenn. Then you got Dennis Quaid, Scott Glenn, Fred Ward, Lance Hendrickson. And there's several actresses who played the wives and also went on to good careers. And there's Veronica Cartwright, Pamela Reed, Barbara Hershey, David Moffat played Lyndon Johnson. And an established actress, Kim Stanley, played the owner of Ponchos. This is the bar at Edwards Air Force Base because the early part of the movie deals with the how these guys and all these guys have been facing death in the test pilot programs, brought in from various parts of the military, and how they were then brought into the uh, space program. Now, the film brought in this distinguished wartime hero and test pilot, Chuck Yeager, who's played by Sam Shepard in the film. He came to the public's attention through this book and, of course, through the movie. And Jaeger, who could fly about anything, he was a wartime hero, but he's most recognized. He's the guy who broke the sound barrier. And I believe the year was 1947. But Jaeger wasn't allowed to be in the astronaut program because he lacked a college education. The interesting thing about this film, he has a bit role as a bartender and he's like sweeping the floor at one point with these actors. So he comes up and he's kind of in a slouch hat and so on. But that's the real Chuck Yeager. And he's a centerpiece of the film juxtaposed against the other guys. And there's comments by him throughout the movie as they watch the TV as what's happening to the various astronauts. It's a terrific film. And the, the one thing about it, it won four Academy Awards. Best film editing, best sound editing, best sound effects editing, and best original music score by Bill Conti. If that name's kind of familiar, well, he played for 18 years. He was the leader of the Academy Award Orchestra at all the Academy Award ceremonies, but he got recognized initially for the music score of the movie Rocky. And going to fly now, 
was a top hit in 1977. And of course, there's probably nobody on the planet anymore who doesn't know that tune with all the Rocky films. But it's a it's well worth, it gives you a glimpse of history through the eras, how they, they advanced, and um, well played, well played. I think you find it, it's only entertaining and it's informative, but it's a well-made film. But that was interesting. I mean, they actually were nominated for eight Oscars altogether, won four of them. I always look this up, so their budget was $27 million, mm-hmm. which in 1983... Yeah, pretty good. Sounds like a lot. It only grossed $21 million, so it was somewhat of a, a flop, unfortunately. It's gotten renewed on... People have been through the DVD and watching it on TV. It's on TV every night, and I haven't seen it for a while, but I like to watch it every now and then because it's just it's just entertaining. And it... It's fun watching the, the young guys who you know now as major, many of them major stars. They're a lot older now. Next, Hidden Figures. I, I love this movie. If you have young teenagers, they need to see this movie. Just the, the segregation part of it and how it was, it just it opens your eyes because it, it's something that everybody should see for two reasons. Definitely for the segregation part, but then also for what goes into popping somebody up to the moon. Now, this isn't about going to the moon, but it is definitely about the space race. What I find interesting is they kept going into a movie theater to see the clips. It'll be on the radio saying, oh, um, Soviet Union has put this up and whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it would be like they all run to the move this theater and look at it on the screen. It's funny to me because I know that's an old thing. Well, for my time, and um, and the issue with this, of course, is these are ladies who were mathematicians, oh geniuses, yeah. geniuses, who were able to move through the barriers, basically because of their competence. Even though all these things, the discrimination, everything was set against them, they tended to prove themselves. Uh, this is based on a book. I mean, it's a true story. It's a woman who wrote the book. Uh, Mar- what is it? Margot Lee Shetterly wrote the book that they adapted. But the essence of the film is absolutely true. Yeah. It's, uh, so it surrounds three women: Catherine Johnson, who is played by I can never remember Taraji Henson. I think we're yeah, playing saying that right. She is awesome. I just can't, can't pronounce her name. I'm sorry. The other character, Dorothy Vaughn, played by Octavia Spencer. Wonderful job acting on that. And Mary Jackson, played by Janelle Monet. Monet. I Uh, believe it's Monet. Yeah. I got that one. There you go. Usually I don't. Uh, So Catherine Johnson is this mathematical genius. The the, the beginning of the movie, it shows her when she's very, very, very young. I mean, maybe seven years old yeah, seven or eight, eight years, years old yeah, and she's, and she's in these classes up doing all these calculations and you look back and all the all the other people they look like they're high school maybe even college age kids <laughs> it's it's pretty crazy so she basically was a mathematical genius and performed all the calculations for glenn's flight and also the apollo missions uh, including apollo 11 mission dorothy vaughn she was NASA's first African-American supervisor and Fortron specialist, which is the computer language that was used in those big, huge... They just called it the IBM. Mm-hmm. It was funny in the movie because the guys were setting this up and Kevin Costner's character kept checking on them and it's taken them forever. At one point, they had a sledgehammer and they're 
beating the door because the machine was bigger than the door to get it into the big room. And these two guys, they couldn't get it to work. Dorothy Vaughn, the character of Dorothy Vaughn, she saw that things were going to be downsized. So she went to the library, and there's a whole scene about that. I won't go into that right now, but you got to see the movie about that. Before they even got that thing up and running, she knew all about it. And she actually went in, at least in the movie, I don't know if this is in true life, she actually was the one that figured out how to turn it on. She just standing there, and mm-hmm. she said, wait a minute, this ain't right. And she pressed the button and figured it out. And then the guys come in, and they're like, who are you? What are you doing? And it was funny. And then lastly, Mary Jackson... This is this is amazing too. She was NASA's and America's first female African American aeronautic engineer, which is which is huge. Great movie. Yeah, and the other thing in that documentary that we talked about, not only uh, these these ladies face double discrimination, both from a racial standpoint and from just being women. There was only one other woman engineer. She was a Caucasian. If you if you see the that host of computer bank of computer screens and so on, that all the guys in their short sleeve white shirts, dark ties, there's one woman in the middle, and I believe her name was last name was Morgan. She had to prove her competency just to take that seat too. Otherwise, there would have been no women at all. So this is these people t- faced a dual discrimination. On the other side, the other one faced at least one discrimination just because she was a woman. So in both sectors, they had to fight to be part of the program, which tells you a little bit about where the state of the nation was at that point in time. Hidden Figures, terrific film. That brings us to another one. Oh, we, before go we, ahead. Before we go, I'm sorry. Mm, that's fine. Since I keep track of it, I might as well say it. So this movie had a budget of $25 million, which is less than the movie from 1983. That's mm-hmm. odd. Hidden Figures came out in 2016. So the budget was $25 million. It grossed almost $236 million. Yeah. It's one of those films that people saw it, word of mouth, you got to see this film, da-da-da-da-da-da. I mean, that's the way we felt about it. And I, I have written here, I love Costner's, uh, not to go into the whole thing, right. but Catherine Johnson's got to go to the bathroom. She's got to run all the way, like a half mile away mm-hmm. to go to the, quote, the colored bathroom. Mm-hmm. Kevin Costner's character... She comes back and she, you know, he's like, "Why are you always going? Where the heck are you going?" Da, da, da. And you know, there's a very dramatic scene there of her expressing why she yeah. has to go all the way over mm-hmm. there. And then the next scene, you see Kevin Costner taking a crowbar to the to the restroom that says "whites white only," mm-hmm. and he rips that thing off. And he says, "I just thought it was funny as he's walking away." He goes, "Here at NASA, we all pee the same color." Isn't that? I mean, that's that says yeah, it all he, right there. That's circumstances broke the broke the line there. Yeah, yeah absolutely. What's next? Well, First Man is a more recent film, 2018. And this film focused strictly on Neil Armstrong, played by a rather laconic Ryan Gosling, because Neil Armstrong was a pretty quiet guy anyway, in 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 life, and as he works toward his epic and successful landing on the moon, aboard Apollo 11. Now, his relationship with others in the program, especially Ed White, who was the first American to walk in space. They were close friends. They lived nearby. The film shows how the families are affected as the stress and dangers of the program become evident, which Eddie already alluded to, because the children and the wives and all the people on the ground had to sweat this out without having a chance to actually work work it out. 
And the impact of the fatal fire in January 67 that killed the first Apollo mission astronauts, Virgil Grissom, Roger Chafee, and Ed White, hangs over the events leading to his trip. And his wife, Janet, is played by Claire Foy. And you may know her as Queen Elizabeth from the British TV series The Crown, and she most recently appeared in The Girl in the Spider's Web. But one of the best scenes for me in the film is when Janet, that's his wife, challenges Neil to tell his two sons about the inherent dangers of the mission and the possibility of never returning. Neil's response to his son's question is what one might expect to hear from an astronaut. So it's it's a well-done film. It's also drawn... The same director, uh, Damien Chazelle, is the guy who directed La La Land, with, which, of course, had Gosling in it. So they teamed up for this one. And uh, this is actually based on the book by James Hansen, uh, the first-person account, which basically ex- explores Armstrong's life. It's a well-done film. Did you, you like the film, too, I think, didn't you, Eddie? Oh, yeah, I, I yeah. did. I saw it um, a while ago. When, when did it come out? 2018, but it, 2018. It, it, that was late. It, you saw it early this year. I, yeah. I know I saw it earlier this year. Queen Elizabeth, she did Yeah, <laughs> she did a great job because you could see how distraught she was mm-hmm. and how worried she was and great acting. I mean, she She's an amazing actress, yeah, I must she, say. Yeah, she really is. Especially yeah. when I, the girl in the spider web, but you're at the movie theater and you're watching the trailer and you're like, who's this girl? And then... You make the connection and go, oh, my gosh. Yeah, totally different. That's Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, it's What's totally she doing different. with tattoos totally, and stuff like Totally on? different. Yeah, it's, but that's that's why we love the actors. But it's a terrific film. Well done. Uh, Gosling, uh, does a, I thought he was, he was really good. And the last film we want to explore is on the other side. This is not dealing with the moon landing, but we have to mention this because... Everybody, as I said, we were fearful. Those of us who watched this were afraid, gee, are they going to get back? Can they get off the moon? Can they come back? They did. But in the movie Apollo 13, which was a couple of missions later, and this came out in 1995. It's a Tom Hanks film directed by Ron Howard. It has a pretty good cast. It has Bill Paxton and uh, Kevin Bacon playing the, the other two astronauts. This is one where... We weren't sure these guys were going to make it back because there's an explosion that occurs and they actually have to get off into the other vehicle. And then they have battery issues and power issues and they only have so much fuel left to make any adjustments. And people were standing in Times Square watching with bated breath the things that they're telling on TV. Are they going to come back? Because they couldn't reboot the computer, the big lug of a computer that you talked about they needed about an hour and a half or something to reboot the computer, and they didn't have that much time. And for me, and you can comment on this, Eddie, what the greatest scene for me when we talk about competency and knowing your math, for every student that doesn't like math, you want to think it doesn't matter, there's a scene in there when they're, they're challenged to come up with several solutions on the ground. They first have filtration system for their air and so on and so forth. But how do we get them back? Everybody, There's a scene where everybody has a slide rule these guys standing in their white shirts and they're all working out the calculations and they're looking, check, 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 check. Did the numbers jive? Uh, what in the world is a slide rule? Well, for those of us from another time period, <laughs> another time. back when the <laughs> roads were dusty and 
Most engineers had to use a slide rule, which of course is made either of wood or the more sophisticated plastic, which has a sliding scale where you would do math problems based on the various scales that you needed to use to solve that problem. Now it's done by computers. I happened to be visiting my alma mater one time talking to some engineering students and asking if they'd ever seen one. Then they hadn't, which I thought they should have at least been introduced because when I was on campus, everybody in the engineering side carried them around with them. In that scene, they had to do it the old-fashioned way, like scratching on paper, and they all came up with the right solution and got the guys back. So even this is one of those movies, even knowing what the ending is, it's still heart. Yeah, pounding, pounding and, and it was well done and and you've seen the film obviously so yeah, it's, it, yeah i saw it it was it was a great movie just so you know the budget was 52 million i, don't know, I like checking these figures 52 million and it grossed we're gonna put you in the accounting department <laughs> i think it, it grossed 356 million so yeah. well here it is tom hanks how many times we've mentioned we haven't even talked about tom hanks in particular but the same actors keep popping up because they're in all these top movies well, those are the films that we think are worth either viewing for the first time or it's been a while since you've seen them. Revisit them this week in anticipation of the celebration and recognition of the landing of the moon next weekend. I'm going to start having links to all the movies that we talk about will be in the show notes that you'll be able to click on and you can rent them, you can buy them, whatever you, you choose to do. Before we... Um, you had some things you wanted to bring up, I know. I've always heard that a lot of stuff that we use in everyday life, uh, we can thank NASA for or the space program. Mm -hmm. So I actually went online and I looked. Some of these don't make sense, but they're the ones that developed it. Uh, the first and foremost is baby formula. I don't have the name of the company, but NASA commissioned a company to create we don't get paid for advertising food. anyway so don't worry well, about that's it good, that's good. <laughs> to create a, a powdery food i mean we know there's space food but this was in mm -hmm. the beginning and but it didn't work out so this company spent all this money had this process and they realized wait let's use it for baby formulas that's crazy satellite tv yep. a computer mouse cat scans yes that's interesting led lights so mm -hmm. nowadays everybody has led lights christmas tree even now they have them in the fluorescent light bulbs. you got LED light bulbs. Yep. Solar panels, that makes sense. Ski boots. Mm -hmm. UV blocking sunglasses. Well, the sun was pretty bright. You're standing out there with no atmosphere. You're looking at, you You couldn't possibly look back at the, the sun without them, I'm sure. Landmine removal. Mm. <laughs> home insulation. Mm -hmm. Insulation in your mm -hmm. home. The jaws of life that emergency technicians or um, firemen use. Wireless headsets, that kind of makes sense. Joysticks, adjustable smoke detectors. I should have looked a little further in there because I don't understand the adjustable part. Portable computers, that seems pretty obvious. Maybe the adjustable is putting up for determining certain rates of whatever the uh, smoke would for, uh, for components of the smoke oh, so they can be. adjust it so it would be more sensitive, less sensitive, I would think, maybe. That makes yeah. sense. Here's one that's interesting. Comfortable running shoes. They had to create the foam that went into the boots, and they used in certain things, and they and figured also, out you can use them in the, running shoes. Also the seats. The yeah. seats, like the uh, foam that you have now in certain beds and so on, because these guys had to sit in some of those yeah. chairs that didn't recline for periods of time. Memory foam, yeah. yeah. I have yeah. it on my bed right okay. now. Yep. Cell phone cameras. This was interesting. Mm. 
uh, a little bit on this. In the, 90, in the 90s, a jet propulsion laboratory team was looking for ways to shrink a camera down for interplanetary travel. Wow. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Back then, they were even thinking about it. They came up with a camera on a chip, also known as the CMOS, Comos sensor. I'll run through these other ones here quickly. Ice-resistant airplanes, the stuff that they sprayed mm -hmm. on the airplane yep. with. Scratch-resistant lenses, that makes sense. Safer highways. Why safer highways? How? Grooved pavement. Okay. There you go. Groove pave pavement. Grooved pavement. Mm -hmm. Grooved pavement. There you go. Say it 16 times in a row. <laughs> Grooved <laughs> pavement. Water filtration, survival mm. blankets. Yep. Mm, that makes sense. This one I don't understand. Invisible braces. Eh. Mm. Better tires. That kind of makes mm. sense. The dust buster which we yeah. don't see very much anymore. No. I'm sure it was crazy. you might have one, yeah. but um cochlear, I'm saying implant wrong. implants. The infrared ear thermometers that we use, the super soaker gun actually, crazy. Speedos racing swimsuits, <laughs> artificial limbs, and then the technology that we now use for smart thermostats, smart yeah. light bulbs, smart locks. And then finally there's I've got three here that NASA did not invent. Tang. Uh, sales Drank it as a kid. Drank it as a kid. Did you? Yeah. It, it said sales of Tang was poor, pretty bad, until mm. NASA, uh, John Glenn used it. And mm. after 1962, then it became popular. Velcro was uh, created by a Swiss engineer in 1941. Mm -hmm. And Teflon, which a lot of people think, it was created by a DuPont scientist in 1938 there you go i will say this about tang it was still a little watery no matter how much stuff you put in it even if you followed the directions it kind of tasted like orange juice but it was pretty thin it was uh <laughs> it, it was tangy yeah you could say it was tangy yeah that's a anyway what's the clock on the wall telling us eddie well johnny looks like it's time again but before i turn it over to you i got a few things as usual as always, we thank you for listening and subscribing to our show. We would be grateful if you would leave a review, and if you haven't had a chance yet to subscribe, please do. We have a lot of great shows coming up. Next week we're talking Johnny's favorite composer, John Barry, created the James Bond theme song, so we're going to be digging into him. Also, the following week we're going to be talking about strong women characters. There are tons of them, so we'll cover a few of them. For example, Wonder Woman, Captain Marvel, Peppermint, if you don't know what I talk about regarding peppermint, it's not the candy. You have to tune in next week. It is crazy. And then there are a few more, but we'll touch on them. Also, in a couple weeks, and I'll say we're almost there because I've been, I've been mentioning this one, I think, since the beginning. Yes. So instead of saying in a few weeks, I'm now saying in a couple weeks. In a couple weeks, in honor of the 40th anniversary of the original Muppet movie, we're talking the world of Jim Henson. Please tell your family and friends anyone can listen for free on Apple Podcasts. New episodes will drop every Monday. Visit Johnny's blog on our website, we'retalkingmovies.com. There you'll find additional commentary, show notes, references that were mentioned in the show. So he's still catching up on that, but he's, he's doing his homework best that he can. The easiest way to subscribe to our podcast is to visit our website, we'retalkingmovies.com, scrolling to the bottom of the page and clicking the Apple Podcast button. 
Here's another change from last week. The podcast is also available on all of your favorite platforms except Pandora and iHeartRadio. See how easy that was? That was a lot easier. Okay. (laughs) Okay, okay, I get it. (laughs) If you have a show idea or just want to say, what's poppin', Johnny? You like that one? Yeah, I like that one. Send a comment through our website, DM us on Instagram, or tweet us at WeTalkinMovies. Also find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash we're talking movies. We would love it if you would visit our page and like us. That's it for me, Johnny. Okay. Well, that looks like it's all for today, folks. So until next time, keep your eyes on the silver screen. And as we fade to black, this is Johnny Popcorn and Eddie Klieg saying so long till we're talking again. Ladies and gentlemen, please clear the set.